thank you and welcome to all of our new supporters on Patreon. This is an independently produced show, written, researched, produced, edited, distributed, and promoted by us, Carolyn, Kristen, and Michelle, and paid for out of our own pockets because it's important to us. But you can help us pay the bills by clicking the Patreon link on our website, poppreservationist.com, or by going to our link in bio on Instagram and finding the Patreon link in our link tree. It's one of the best ways for you to tell us that you like what you hear, so we can keep on trucking. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Wesley Ewer. I played Will Marshall on Land of the Lost. Run, Holly, run! There's a sleeve stack! <laughs> and you're listening to the Pop Culture Preservation Society. And every celebrity you can imagine would come visit our set, from Elton John to Charo to... Uh, Stallone to uh, it, it was it was there was one point where Charo was run, was chasing Chaka around the jungle going Gucci 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 Hello world is a song that we're singing Come on get happy A whole lot of loving is what we'll be bringing We'll make you happy Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who will never, ever forget Jenny's phone number. Oh, sorry. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we are saving the show that swept us down a waterfall in a yellow raft, through a portal into the past every Saturday morning, and made us all, to this day, bond over our fear of that thing called a slea stack. <laughs> Land of the Lost. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. A whole lot of love is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. We are so excited about today's show, everyone. This one has been on our minds since day one of this podcast, because as many of you longtime listeners know, we include a Land of the Lost reference in the intro we've used since episode one, and we've said like over a hundred times now, which really, really illustrates what the PCPS is all about. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. Land of the Lost was another Sid and Marty Croft crazy carnival ride of a show, joining the ranks in the early 70s of shows like The Bugaloos, Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, H.R. Puff and stuff. And it detailed the adventures of the Marshall family, Father Rick and his children, Will and Holly, who are trapped in an alternate universe or time warp inhabited by dinosaurs, primate-type people called Pakuni, and aggressive humanoid lizard creatures called Sleestacks. Oh, I hate that word humanoid. Oh, I, just, I hate the word Sleestacks. It just it, well, it I do puts a too. fear in me. Okay, so number one, my roommate in college would not watch Land of the Lost because she was so afraid of the Sleestacks. She mm -hmm. couldn't believe that I actually watched the show because it was so scary. And oh, this wow. is kind of a universal thing, you guys. I have a copy of Dynamite Magazine with Sleestacks on the cover, and I just casually had it laid out on my coffee table this week because I'm doing research, right? My husband walks in. He sees the Sleestacks on our coffee table, and he points at it and goes, Ah! <gasps> Like he was terrified. <laughs> He's fifty four. It's an it's a it's old. an it's an instinctive reaction when we see mm -hmm. a stack. Right. Yep, I think for sure. Well, Can I just ask you, did they interview the Sleestacks in that Dynamite magazine? What's the... No, they interview <laughs> Sid and Marty Croft. Oh, okay. but that's a legit question, S right? Like but back in the day, we yeah. might have thought. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Although, did they ever say words? The no, they just made that awful sound, did didn't they? I thought one of them kind of talked. Oh, there is one who knows English, and he's like their um, like the, their the, spokesperson, their leader. Isn't he like good? He might be non evil. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. like the yeah, like you said, the interpreter, the one that goes back and forth. The so liaison, he's neutral. <laughs> yeah. We all watched it. We all loved it. It is a huge part of our Saturday morning memories. For me. 
I was, you guys, just five years old when this show debuted in September of 1974. And I was kind of held hostage to watch it because it was Definitely not a show five-year-old Michelle would have chosen to watch. That was over my head. But my sister, who at the time was nine, she was all about Land of the Lost. You know, you have one TV, one TV channel on a Saturday morning. So at that time slot, Land of the Lost was on every Saturday morning. So I had a choice. I either could watch Land of the Lost, kind of probably behind my hands in my blanket, (laughs) or I cannot watch TV. And as a five-year-old child in the early 70s, that's not an option to not watch TV on Saturday mornings. I have a very love-hate memory of Land of the Lost. I love it because of the nostalgia, but I hate it because I can remember how scared I would be watching it. But I also loved the characters on this show. No matter how scared I, I was about mm-hmm. with with the dinosaurs and the sleigh stacks, I loved the brother and I loved Will. I loved Holly. I wanted to be Holly. Like, as you guys know, I always sure. wanted to be like the little sister or whatever. Loved her braids. I thought she was the cutest. And so I love her teeth. Yes. Oh, they're beautiful. <laughs> Is that weird? No, I she, love your teeth. she has beautiful mm-hmm. teeth. I wish I could skin. have teeth like that. I just feel like for me, my memory is um, fear, <laughs> tension, <laughs> yeah, but also mm-hmm. just this this feeling of how much I loved the the family the family aspect of this show. What about you guys? Well, I want to follow up because I was the big sister in your scenario, and I have as you were just talking. These little memories are popping in my head of my sister being afraid. And I was like, basically, tough shit, you know, (laughs) grow up. We're watching it. And like, she was really scared and I didn't care. I'm going to have to talk to her a little bit about this, but it was just like, this is what we're watching. And you're family therapy. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think I did that a lot to her now. You know what? On March 12th, when we go to this Teen Idol event and your sister's there as well. Ronnie and I can bond over that, right? We can bond over, Ronnie, if you're listening right now, we're going to bond over all the little sister things our mean older sisters made us do. And then we're going to, you and I together, go up and we're going to talk to Wesley and get our picture with Wesley. Get um, a little closer. Maybe, Carolyn, you should invite your therapist. And then we should have some family therapy at the event with the characters from Land of the Lost. and, And we'll all get closure. But I really loved that show, I think, because of the drama. I think it was almost like a little soap opera for me. Each mm-hmm. week, I was coming back to think, this is the week that they're going to get out. Is this the week? <laughs> because that's all I wanted for them. And um, it kept me engrossed in it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the um, that storyline and that drama part of it. Yeah. It was not like uh, HR Puff and Stuff or a Sigmund. It, this was like highbrow for me. This was your, um, your not landing. Exactly. Your, your exactly. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> On Saturday was, morning. And it was very real, wasn't it? Like, we can watch it now and think that's so campy. But you guys, when when anytime they were inside their cave, you can picture this, right? There's Because this happens in every episode. They're inside the cave, and here comes Grumpy, the giant T-Rex, and his face is right on the outside of the cave. And it's from their point of view. It just it just releases so much fear in my body that those it's scenes. It's shockingly terrifying. We played <laughs> Land of the Lost in my neighborhood constantly. There was a lot of running. There was a lot of running. And Run, we, were, we would fight over who was going to be who. And it's very interesting. I always wanted to be Holly. My friend Ann Chase always wanted to be Will. But she's the one who had a crush on Will. But her fantasy is not being a love interest of Will. She wants to be Will. And so this is a question I want to ask um, Dr. Forster, from, who is our professional, um, our pro-crushologist from Chapman University, from our episode called, I can't remember, Crushology 101. <laughs> like, is that a thing where you kind of want to be your crush? We kind of felt that Maybe. way about Christine. Like we wanted to be Christine. Yeah. Yeah, we wanted to be Christy McNichol. That's true. Um, I my friend's dad, this same friend, Aunt Chase, her dad was a geologist. And that's this is the land of the lost, is how I pictured his job. I thought he went to work in the land of the lost, <laughs> basically. I can that's see that. And I can see also that. that you being maybe afraid that that would happen to Aunt Chase and her family. Like, oh no, don't ever yes, go river rafting. Go to the don't ever go. Yes, and don't ever go rafting. Yeah, don't do it, Anne. <laughs> don't do it. Do you know what uh, Brian said uh, when we were just recently rewatching uh, the pilot episode and talking about Land of the Lost a lot the past couple of days because I've been prepping for this this episode? He had a really good point. He said it was 
our Jurassic Park. It's the people always oh. running from the dinosaurs. And it's the fear of, yes. you know, do you guys remember the first time you saw Jurassic Park in the theater? I do. It was sort of a delicious, terrifying, right? That's what Land of the Lost gave us in 1974. It was just the 1974, yeah. 75, 76 version of Jurassic Park. So we all watched the pilot episode last night, and we all knew that we loved Land of, the, Land of the Lost, but I think you guys will concur that when I turned it on last night, watching it for the first time since like 1976, I I remembered how much I actually loved it, like how invested mm-hmm. I was in the show. And it's really grown in um, in the people who love it. They have more fans now probably than they did in 1976. It's a true cult classic. And part of what I think people love about it is that – it has these old school retro um, quote unquote special effects that are so entertaining in their rudimentary nature, right? It's almost what yes. makes it fun in this era of CGI and all this crazy technological animation. This is actually what makes it more fun for us right now. And so I watched this last night with my 20 year old and he is like, what is this that I'm watching? Like, did somebody make this in their back the bathtub? He said that where they go over the waterfall, he goes, it looks like somebody put a garden hose over some rocks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, and that's does. entertaining. That is so entertaining. And you know, what's so funny is that we didn't even worry about that the whole timeline and the explanation of how they tumbled back into time. Because there is one sentence. There's a one-sentence explainer of what has happened when they went over the waterfall. They're like, hey, Dad, how did we end up in this strange place? And and Rick Marshall is like, well, last night, kids, I saw three moons. And then we went back in time. And that's all you get. And they're that's like, it. well, okay. Yeah. And there's then, a and dinosaur. Then they, Everybody run. <laughs> I also think, you know, we talk a lot about how scary this show was with the sleestacks and the dinosaurs and just the whole, especially when you're watching it when you're five and six years old, at getting lost in a place like this and being right. away. But yeah. some of the writing, I think, was done very purposefully to kind of alleviate that fear. Because, for instance, when he's they're like, how did we get here, Dad? And he's like, well, last night I saw three moons and we're in this new place. And then Holly, instead of Holly doing something very realistic that a, you know, eight-year-old child would do, which would be freaking the F out, right? She just goes, aw, I wish we were home. <laughs> and then things like where they they ram the big fly swatter, you know, it's what they call the big log. They ram into the T-Rex's throat. And after they do it and he's going, Wah! outside of the cave, and you're filled with fear for them in this moment. Their reaction is just like, good. they almost like high-five each other, like, good job, <laughs> we showed him. And they, they now as adults, though, like, we look at it like, um, I think they should be a lot more scared and terrified, but probably it was done <laughs> very hilarious. purposefully to not, yeah. because had they written it that way, you guys, it would have been way too scary for the five yeah, and we six-year-olds to watch. Yeah, we were already so scared. Yeah, so right? they had to get, make light of it somehow. So now that I'm thinking about it, I think it was intended, intentional, mm-hmm. yeah. You know what it is? It's very much like Rocky Horror. The way people love Rocky Horror oftentimes is for the camp. And we enjoy the story of Rocky Horror. And I feel the I feel very much the same way about Land of the Lost. There is something important there that keeps us coming back. We're not laughing at it. We're laughing with it. Mm-hmm, for sure. Oh, we – no matter how – campy we think it is today, we respect it because of the nostalgia and the importance it plays in our childhood. When I look all around, I can't believe the things I found. Now I need to find my way. I'm lost, I'm lost, find me living in the land of love. So obviously we could talk about Land of the Lost and our feelings about the show for hours and hours and hours. But hey, listeners, wouldn't it be super fun if you could hear from an actual source? Wouldn't you love to hear from somebody who was on the actual Land of the Lost? Yes. How about Will? Would you like to hear from Will? Well, we had the great pleasure and privilege of talking to Wesley Ewer, the man who played Will Marshall on Land of the Lost. It was so fun. Such a delight to talk to him and learn a lot of behind-the-scenes kind of stuff about the show. He had good dish. He Such did. Good dish. He did. You guys, our minds were exploding constantly during this conversation, and we know yours will be too. 
Please enjoy our conversation with Wesley Yore, star of Land of the Lost. Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition met the greatest earthquake ever known. High on the rapids, it struck their tiny raft and plunged them down a thousand feet below. We are so excited to welcome this icon of Saturday morning TV, the man who tumbled over a waterfall and landed in another dimension, all for the viewing pleasure of millions of children who grew up in the 70s. Wesley Ewer, also known as Will from Land of the Lost, is our guest today because he understands the impact that this long-ago children's show had on us. It's an impact that shows up in the standardized opening of every single one of our podcasts. Wesley, thank you for being here today, and thank you for making it over that waterfall. Thank you. And you just clicked on We see you. We see you. Yes, we can see you. What perfect timing. (laughs) And you're moving. (laughs) Yay. Hey, guys. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me on. It's great. Did I say your name correctly? Yeah, you did. It's like like Europe without the up. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, great. That oh, works. Or oh. oh, Eureka without the cut. Yeah. <laughs> and we are loving, uh, he, uh, listeners, uh, Wesley, just his video just clicked in. He's all the way in Mexico right now. But I just want to describe to you that he's sitting here in a Slee Stack t-shirt. Of course he is, right? We would expect <laughs> yes, no, we would is. expect no less. And, um, I asked him earlier, but I want him to repeat this listener so you get to hear. I said, um, Wesley, how many Slee Stack t-shirts do you own? I have tons of them. I've got closets filled with <laughs> them. I have 4,875. Well, I, 74. One of them got destroyed in the, in the dryer. But no. Oh, <laughs> it, you know what's amazing is the merchandising. This show, you know, is going to celebrate its 50th anniversary in, uh, next year. And 50 years later, I can't believe it has this huge following and it continues to grow. And all, all the sort of official and unofficial merchandising that comes out, you can buy, you know, on, on Amazon or wherever. And uh, it, it, every once in a while, I'll, I'll go on like a Red Bubble or one of those T-shirt places, and there's another image. And it's so odd to buy a shirt with my image on it of me, and I'll pay for You're it. Right. <laughs> and, it <You're> right. <laughs> and, and you know what? I love it. I, I love it. So it, it keeps the show alive. It totally. Yeah. yeah, it does. Yeah. And it keeps it alive for us, too. I mean, there's a reason we're all still talking about it 50 years later. And we were just talking about this, like in this era of CGI animation and technology and and all these. I don't even know the technical word to say, like special effects that this such such a rudimentary show yeah. is having such an awakening, having such such a, a, a growth period. It's so funny. What is it about it? Do you think that keeps Phil coming back? It's the story. It's what, what we had on Land of the Lost was we had the Star Trek writers writing our show. And David Gerald, who wrote, if you're a Star Trek fan, uh, Trouble with Tribbles was one of his episodes. And he was our head writer and he got all the, Star Trek had just finished its first, you know, its first three years. And he got Walter Koenig, who played Chekhov, to create Enoch, the talking sleep stack. He had DC Fontana, Larry Niven, Spinrad, all these amazing sci-fi writers who wrote these amazing scripts. And so the, the, you're right that there's no CGA and, and the effects are kind of hokey, you know, for the seventies. I mean, of course, at the time they were state of the art. It was amazing, sure. but it's the story. I mean, as Shakespeare said, the story is the thing. And, think, you know, we're talking time doorways. And David said at a panel recently, David Gerald, he said, I told my writers, we're not writing a Saturday morning show. We're writing a sci-fi show that airs on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. So they never talked down to the audience. I mean, there were, there were matrices and, and doppelgangers and, and, and antecedents and all sorts of stuff. And they never like said, okay, kids, here's what this means. They just said right. it and the kids had to like learn it. Yep. Right. And right. I, it, it was like, out of my um, 
realm of understanding, but I was there 100%. Like I didn't need to be able to understand everything so specifically. It was like, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm Mm going to get it. And it just, like you said, it wasn't talking down to the kids. It felt like I was watching something very sophisticated. You just kind of blew my mind with the Star Trek thing because Star Trek is the same way where it has these really diehard fans and it always has. And it also has a similar feel to it. I would never have put those two together, but you're right. That's a total match. I was just going to say one of the appeals to what you were just saying is how they never talked down to the audience, but there was something for everyone. People ask about, about the Will Ferrell movie and what they did Atlanta Land of the Lost. Of course, it, it became a comedy. And what, what was missing and one of the reasons it faltered was because Land of the Lost was, it was about a family without, we'd lost our mom. This was a Saturday morning show that was talking about real issues. And we were trapped in this world trying to survive. And we have more fans that come up at, we do the autograph shows and things like that. Kathy, who played my sister Holly, she's, she's really my sister in life now. I mean, we are best friends. She just, in fact, she just moved to Palm Springs to be next to us and she's coming to Mexico to stay at my house, uh, for a couple of weeks in a few weeks. But, um, we have people come up to us, our table and are, are like crying. Uh, one guy came up. And he said, listen, I got to tell you something. I, I know it's going to sound silly what he said. And he was, he was in his fifties and he's, he said, when I was a kid and when Land of the Lost changed from the second season to the third season, we lost our dad and our uncle came in and he said, my family was getting a divorce and my dad was leaving us. And he said, I was a mess and I didn't know what to do, but I saw in Land of the Lost that the family could survive even though the dad left. He says, it gave me the strength to get through that time of my life. And he's hugging us and crying. He said, thank you guys so much. Because as a performance, we never know the ripple effect of things we do. No, you know, we, you we read a script, right? we do it, and we move on. But there, there is an effect, especially when scripts are written so beautifully, like David Gerald and all these guys that wrote these scripts. Well, and that, the, you just answered a really important question. We were so excited for the Land of the Lost movie, but... You, it turned. It was something else entirely. Mm-hmm. It was apples and oranges, and so you could have really lost those Star Trek people. And I don't want to label them Star Trek people, but the people who were really there for that intricate story—that intricate story was not there. No, not and, it wasn't and, an in fact, movie. It was apples and oranges. Sid, Sid Croft, and, uh, and who's still a great friend of mine, I talk to Marty Croft all the time. They're just oh great gosh. guys. They're, you know, they're legends, and, I, and I'm oh, just honored to be part of their life. But they, Sid said he contacted Gene Roddenberry to ask him if he'd be our head writer because it was Star Trek had just finished the, the, at Paramount the three years, and I think they were sharing a lot at the time, a, a soundstage. And, uh, and Gene said, I can't do it, but I've got this writer named David mm-hmm. Gerald. You've got to meet him. And that's who they hired. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is amazing. And I wanted to share, I was a little bit older than Michelle. And I, again, the story was, was what I showed up for. Cause I hoped every time that you were going to get out. I mean, I guess in <laughs> essence, there wouldn't have been a show anymore, but at right. the same time, it was just like, this is the week. This is when they're going to get out. I just wanted <laughs> you so guys terrible. to get out. And that's kind of, you know, why I showed up. And we recently rewatched the, um, the pilot and I, I wrote down two lines that were in the pilot that I thought were pretty profound. Um, and one was, um, when you first meet Ch- Chaka, right? And right. you're d- telling your dad about him. And Holly says, um, can we keep him? And your dad says, people don't own right. other people. Ooh, and I was yeah. like, I mic that drop. That we, was thought that just... was, we thought that too. My husband and I were watching it, Carolyn. We were like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, that's a next level thing, to, especially 1974. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's funny because at that moment, I was watching it with my 20-year-old son, which was, that's a trip right there. And he goes, he's not a dog. <laughs> like, he was really upset. <laughs> So yeah. he probably was tuning into Rick. Like, yeah, well, you can't own other people. He's a pacuni. And yeah. then later on, when um, I guess maybe you were talking about Chaka being your friend, and um, it says, your dad says again, it takes a lot of trust to make a friend. And I thought for the kids listening back then, like, that was, that's another powerful mm-hmm. line, you know? So and we those trusted were, Rick. Yeah, right? like he was an authority figure. Well, we exactly, he was like our dad. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly. That was so true. And, and, and yeah. Kathy, uh, Kathy's written a book called "Run, Holly, Run," and she had quite a quite a dramatic life. And Spencer Milligan, who played our dad, is still to this day like a dad to her. 
And we are oh. all very close friends. I talk to Spencer all the time. I'll call Spencer and go, I go, hey, Papa. He goes, oh. he goes, hey, hey, Will, how you doing? You know, <laughs> and, uh, and I go, Papa, can you hear me? <laughs> and he's like, but he has a great sense of humor. And Phil Paley, who played Chaka, we are, the, the four of us are truly a family. And yeah. it, it, I've always said that Cross didn't just cast my TV family, but they cast my real life family too. Oh, that is amazing. Okay, because I'm covered this, in this goosebumps for like the last. Two and a half years. Yeah. 50 years ago. That's yeah. Just 50 years. And we're just, I'm mean, telling you, we are so close, all of us. And it, it's, it, <sighs> and it breaks all sorts of barriers. And just, I don't know, I just, I, I, I you, thank we, the Crofts over and over for my family. We love to hear that so much, and I know our listeners will love to know that. Um, but Wesley, can you can we go back a little bit, and can you kind of tell us how this all came to be for you? Like, what did you think of that script when you first read it? And we were wondering, like, did you think, oh, this is, you know, like you've said, it's so well written, but did you think of this as high drama, or did you see it kind of as the campiness that makes Land of the Lost so beloved today? Because I'll tell you what, back in 1974, all of us watching it, we saw it as high drama. We were fraught with tension every week. We were scared silly of the T-Rex. We were scared silly of the Sleestacks. Many of us still are, Kristen's husband. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But like, you know, now we all watch it. And I think one reason it has become this kind of cult classic is because we appreciate and we applaud the campiness of the, the kind of primitive sets. And, you know, that little, that little raft in the, in the intro that is like, ah, you know, goes down the, the waterfall. But, <laughs> it looks like a tidy bowl. Remember oh, the yes, commercials yes, with, yes, with the blue water? Yeah. But, but take us back, because like I just said, and we've talked about a little, um, we talked a little bit about earlier. As viewers in 1974, whether we were five or whether we were eight or nine, we saw it as very realistic and very high drama and very tension-filled. As the actor who was in it, how did you see it in 1974 when you first when it first came to be for you? It was amazing. I, I was I was on Days of Our Lives at the time playing Mike Horton, which I did for about a decade. And when I got the script, because remember this was it had never been, this was a drama on Saturday morning. We were, you know, we'd had the Flintstones and all the cartoons and, and all the silliness and even Puffin stuff and Lidsville from the Crofts. Everything was silly. It was kids. And then suddenly you have a drama. I mean, there's one episode where a Sleestack pretends he's our mother and morphs into oh, our mother to try to kill us. I mean, this is kids on Saturday morning. And I think that's because it never talked down. I mean, again, David Gerald said, I'm writing, I'm writing a show, you know, a, a sci-fi show that just happens to air on Saturday morning. And Land of the Lost, it, the budget was so thin because it's Saturday morning. We filmed two episodes a week. So two and a half days mm -hmm. to film each episode, which was unheard of. I mean, it's never, it's yeah, just never been done. Quick. I don't think yeah. ever again. Mm -hmm. And so. We had this amazing two two sound stages. They were huge. One of them was like our lagoon and with all the jungle. The other was the interior of our cave, and then the the blue screen, which is now green screen. And every celebrity you can imagine would come visit our set, from Elton John to Charo to uh, Stallone to. Uh, it, it was it was there was one point where Charo was right, was chasing Chaka oh around God. the jungle, going. <laughs> But it That's was, the cold it was, open it was, right there. It was an event. I mean, it, people wanted to come to our set because it was, it, it, they'd never seen anything like it before. That's so funny. I love, see, oh these, are the, these are the things we love to know. Charo. I'll just say the name Charo and everybody goes back in time. And she, I've got to tell you, we did a show, Kathy and, and Phil and I did a show recently in Hollywood and Charo was sitting across from us. And I'll tell you, she is still as beautiful and she looks exactly like she did from the 1970s. That's you know, and just as be. perky and fun as you can imagine. <laughs> oh. And nobody really knows how old she is. It's a mystery. No. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Okay, I have a very important question for you. This is a vital question for us and for our listeners. We need you to settle something for us. So I mentioned in our in the little intro there about our, I said something about our podcast intro, um, the one we say every single week. We've said it over 100 times. And what we say as we introduce our podcast is, 
We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. We say it every single week. And we have gotten some hate mail from people (laughs) saying, you're doing it wrong because Marshall was their last name. Rick was the dad. But I've been singing Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. (laughs) And uh, who's right? Who's right? Oh, gosh. Well, you're both right. I, yes, Marshall is our last name, and it was wrong. I mean, so it should have been Rick Marshall, Will, and Holly. But, Rick Marshall, Will, and Holly. Oh, and you know, I sang work. the song. I sang the song Wait, in the opening credits. You did? Yeah. And the closing credits. Yeah. That's a good I was recording back song. to Motown at the time. And wow. uh, so they said, Wesley, Wesley, come sing it. So it was Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition, met the greatest earthquake ever known. High on the rapids, it struck their tiny raft. Ah! Plunging down a thousand feet below to the land of the lost, to the land of the lost. And then Bumpy goes, roar. So. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's synapses are firing right now. We like, are, <laughs> we are, we are, I can't even tell you right now. There's this is a nipple in, lightning on my goosebumps. Yes. Let's just say Wesley, it. Let's just right. it for what it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. And we're right. right. We just found out we're right. We You're right. Yeah. It should, yeah. it should have been Rick yeah. Marshall, Will and Ollie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were, you know, listen, their budget, they, I don't know how fast they wrote that song, but, uh, yeah. yeah, but that explains it because when we get an email or a DM that says, Hey, we love your podcast, but just wanted, you know, every week you say, you know, um, like Marshall, Will and Holly on a routine expedition, because basically we're saying what our, po- our podcast represents. We don't, the whole reason we started this is because we want to preserve all of these Gen X pop culture nuggets, right? We don't want them to disappear like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition because <laughs> you disappeared. And when people say that, we go back to the lyrics. We Google the lyrics again because we're like, are we wrong? And we're like, no. And we we say, what could they say? Rick, Will, and Holly. But the way you just right. did it, Wesley actually works. Rick Marshall, Rick Marshall Will, and Holly, Will and Holly on a routine yes. expedition and the greatest. Yeah. Yeah. It works. It works. Earthquake All right. ever known. High so, on rapids. It's like that tiny rap. Yeah. So listeners, we got it from the actual singer's mouth. That <laughs> yeah. It not works, just right. somebody close to it, but right. the actual singer of the words. Right. You know, he knows what he's saying. And it's amazing how that song has, has lived in pop culture. There is an episode of uh, Family Guy. Uh, where Peter actually auditions for Lois for a part in, in a, a community theater, and he sings the theme song to Land of the Lost as his audition. I've never seen that. That's <laughs> oh, it's, brilliant. It's, 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 Jack, Jack Black has a band called Tenacious D. That's and right. you should, he, he rocks out the theme song to Land of the Lost and closing song, which I also sing, which closed the show every week. And it, it's amazing how many different cover bands have, have, have performed the, the opening and closing song of Land of the Lost. And, Michelle, the, and the closing song is the best. Yeah. yeah Can you give us a little bit of that, Wesley? like a jam. I want Wesley uh, uh, to give us a little songs, bit of the closing. Uh, sure. When I look all around, I can't believe the things I've found. Now I need to find my way. I'm lost. I'm lost. Find me living in the land of the lost, 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 lost. <laughs> living in the land of the lost. <laughs> Sid and Mark Croft. Do all of it. Oh my god. Okay. Oh, that was Can so we good. please clip the, that audio and use um, somehow in um, one of our promos, yeah. Wesley? Will you give us? Promos? And Michelle, we need to put that of tenacious course. Z in the newsletter. That needs to okay. Oh my god, you got to see you. It's great, and you know they did uh, they did Bubble Boy for Disney with Jake Gyllenhaal, and uh, it's, it's a fabulous movie. And he pretends he's me, and he's living in a bubble, and, and he. He sings, he, he rocks out at the, at the opening of the show. He's playing his guitar and he sings the closing theme song to Land of the Lost. So it, it continues. It. it just, it has a life of its own. And when, when I went on the set with Will Farrell when he was doing the movie at Universal, Will came right. I never met Will before, but he was a huge fan of Land of the Lost. And he actually played a character in another movie called, and his character's name was Marshall Will and Holly. And, <laughs> And his last name was Mullenholly. And so I, I go on the set of Universal. I'm with Marty Croft. And, and, and he 
breaks character and he runs over to me and he goes, Wesley, Wesley, I sang the theme song yesterday in the movie because he knew that I sang the original one. And he was just, you know, he, he even though the movie, you know, didn't do what it was supposed to do, his heart was in it because yeah. he loved that show. That's good to know. Yeah. And I it's think such that- a cultural touchstone for us. I mean, it's such a, you know, a part that we can all relate to um, having grown up at that time. It's like you can go up to somebody your age and say Marshall, Will, and Holly, and they'll take off and do the rest yeah. of the um, of right. the line. So it's and now we of, know that Will Smith, or Will Smith, yeah, Will, Will Ferrell is. was one of those people. That's right. You know what it is? Yeah. Any reference to Land of the Lost? Just you say the word Sleestack or something, Carolyn. Like you're just saying, it's one of those. You mm-hmm. know how right now the big hashtag is if you know, you know. You know, like if YK. Mm-hmm. YK, right. right? If you know, you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like any reference to Land of the Lost is like that for our generation and for certainly the yeah. the um, the younger boomers, right? Because a lot of them were, you know, like 11, 12 years old in 1974. Old. Mm-hmm. But like, it's so great. I mean, yeah. So like if Will Ferrell, you said his name was Marshall, Will and Holly. It's Will one of those, Holly. if you know, you know, right? If you don't, you don't. That's right. Um, can I Some ask you? Marty Cross, Marty, Cross, Marty Cross said that when the Sleestack, stack, I think, appeared in the third episode of Land of the Lost, and the ratings for Land of the Lost went through the roof. They became NBC's number one show. Not, not Saturday morning show. Number one show for, for that time. And, you know, it, the Sleestack stack to this day, like, and if, you, if you're a basketball fan, I don't know if you guys are basketball fans. Oh, yeah, fans, we know Bill Lambeer was one of them. And, yep. You're right. Bill Lambeer, the Detroit Pistons, the bad yep. boy of oh, basketball. Oh, the mean, mean and, man. <laughs> and Kathy and I, he was coaching the Aces, in, the women's basketball team in Las Vegas. And Kathy and I were at the Star Trek convention because we're the only other show other than Star Trek that's allowed at the conventions because of our connection. Wow. And so we go and surprise Bill Lambeer. We haven't seen him in like, 45 years or whatever. And we have Sleestack heads and we walk in. <laughs> he didn't know we were coming. And all the ladies in the basketball team had eight by tens of a Sleestack. And he, and as soon as he walked in, they, they held it up over their face. So he was looking around and all of his players have a Sleestack eight by ten. He's looking around and Kathy and I walk in with the Sleestack head and he's like, arr, arr. <laughs> I mean, you have to understand, he's seven feet tall. And I'm, you know, and I, I mean, I look like a, a total midget next to him. And at, we, we took photographs and we, you know, we gave him some gifts and all sorts of stuff. But after it was all over, the head of the league came up to me and said, Wesley, I've known Bill since he was a college player. Because he was, we used college basketball players in Land of the Lost. And that's how he got the job when he was in college. He says, steps. I've known all those years. And he says, I have never seen that man smile. As much as he oh, did that's today, awesome. and he just—it you know, was can, fabulous. Can okay, I that ask man you? Did his job well. He yeah. because he did. When, this was on my coffee table, right here. <laughs> it's a dynamite magazine. It's got the slee stacks on the cover, and this was sitting on my coffee table. And my husband walked in, and he goes, "Ah!" <laughs> like, he's fifty-four years old, and he's like, "Ah!" Well. I have to ask you, Wesley, were you and Kathy and Philip, were you afraid of the slee stacks or were they just guys walking around like in sweats with a slee stack head, you know, eating a pop tart and dribbling a basketball on set? <laughs> there's some, if you go online, there's some great photos of the slee stack with their costumes pulled down. Okay. And uh, so you can see their, their faces and stuff like that. And they were, you know, they were huge guys. But no, I mean, th- you know, they became friends. I mean, they were they were there with us. And, and you, these costumes, which were done by Mike Westmore, who did all the, the monsters for Star Trek. So um, Mike Westmore created the Slee Stack. And they were wetsuits, extra large wetsuits with scales on them. And the head, so it, there, it did not breathe at all. There was no air. You know, but this is the 70s. There were no little fans built in to, to cool everybody off. So they could only stand there for maybe three or four minutes because then they'd pull these heads off, the sleeve stack heads, and they'd be pouring sweat. I mean, these guys, it was, it was gruesome for what these guys went through. So we got to know them, you know, sitting in, in, in director's chairs, you know, uh, with, with, with the sleeve stack costume pulled down. So yeah, we weren't terrified no, of them, but. That's uh, acting, not right? Like that's acting. <laughs> Yeah. Acting, <laughs> but 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 when we but every time somebody hears, <sighs> no no no, I have people that go to post traumatic stress at the yes, conventions. Yes, that's horrible, <laughs> right? I can't do that. My husband, he'll die. Okay, our listeners have some questions for you. They let us know what they wanted to know. So Debbie 
wanted to know if you ever got tired of wearing the same outfit for every episode because, you know, you got stuck in the land of the lost when you, you were out there on the waterfall on your raft. You didn't have any of your clothes. So Debbie says she was always curious if like in in costuming, if you had a whole rack of identical shirts. Every well, I, I did have two costumes because in the first season I had a blue shirt blue on. Blue shirt, right? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and we used chroma key blue. It wasn't green back then. So we'd be on the giant chroma key set, which was half of a soundstage painted blue. And the chroma key shirt would suddenly disappear because it was the same <laughs> color as the chroma key. So they made me change in the in the latter part of the show in the last two years into a khaki shirt. And Kathy had blue cords, I think, at the time. And they made her change to maroon because every once in a while they'd kind of pixel out a bit. <laughs> okay, and there are some super fans out there who allege that you got some new clothes somehow in the next season. They're like, where did the new clothes come from? Like, they want the mystery to be solved. Like, the dinosaur Well, part, part of it was, was because of the chroma key, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But Kathy, you know, Kathy grew. You know, she's taller than me now. So, you know, by the third season, you know, I, I was having to, like, come on tiptoes. And, and her costumes were getting a little tight. So... Well, and in real life, you know, that's you what see, in the third happen. season, she... She rolls up her sleeves a lot in the third season because they didn't fit anymore. Oh, it's like, Rick, Rick, and Will, my, my, never mind. I was going to say they couldn't just have made her a podcast. <laughs> they couldn't have made her a new shirt or something. Right. Never mind. But well, the budget was so yeah. was so small. You already well, shared. Well, so. you would think that it's it's land of the lost. At least a seamstress could fly in. I yeah. mean, they could have done that. But right. she was also growing in land of the lost, so we would expect True. if that was her same shirt. Absolutely. That it was. That's right. You were there that whole time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, our listener, we have a listener, um, Amy, and she wants to know if Chaka was a child in a monkey suit, which I'm supposing, Amy, do you mean like as opposed to a real Pacuni, I guess? I don't know. <laughs> I think we, we know it was Philip Paley who played Chaka. So I want to ask you this, and I guess you'll have to answer for Philip, but like that had to have been intense to get into that makeup and costume every episode. Well, I think what she's saying is was because the cross used a lot of little people. And, okay. And Phil was an actual child. He was ten years old. Mm-hmm. He was the youngest black belt in karate in the United States at the time. His teacher was Chuck Norris. Oh, in fact, there's a clip. There's a clip of Phil is on. It is you know Phil is like four foot something, tiny, and when he's a kid. And he's on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and Chuck Norris. And there's a clip where, where Phil flips Johnny Carson over on his back doing karate. And it is hysterical. It, it, it comes up every once in a while. And if you can catch it, you'll laugh your tail off. But Phil, it took him about two hours when we first started Land of the Lost to put the makeup on, put the prosthetics on, the headpiece, the teeth, all the whole thing. And the, the suit was, I think they actually went... Because remember, the budgets were really low, especially the first seasons. I think they went to Planet of the Apes uh, and pulled some and pulled his suit from one of their their wardrobe, and uh, okay. and so it was itchy and scratchy. And he, you know, it was uncomfortable, but he was amazing because you have to remember that the Pakuni language was real. That it was it wasn't he wasn't just doing you know making it up as you know go la 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 la. Oh, I it was that. actually written. It I was it was created that. by a linguist. And uh, at UCLA, and she she took I think eight languages and and got different uh, different uh, you know pronunciations mm-hmm. and verb conjugations and things. But there's a dictionary, the Pakuni dictionary. So he had to, every word was specific. Like Oganza Bisasa was big magic, right, you okay. know. Wira Ari Marisha, you know, for Will and Holly and Marshall and. Uh, it, it was so. There's there's a couple of episodes where it mostly features Phil, and he's talking Pakuni almost the whole half hour. And you know, this is a ten year well ten year old boy, and learning this, he was extraordinary. I am amazed, and I loved the way Jaka talked. I loved that. And it goes back to what you said at the beginning. This speaks to the level of, I guess, just kind of intelligence and, and the level of thought that was put into this show from the very beginning. From, you know, you said they're get, they're not just hiring, you know, someone who, oh, let's write this science fiction show. They're, they're going and they're getting Star Trek writers. And now they're not just going to make up a silly language. They're getting an actual linguist to develop a language to give this, just to put this show on a different level. So we can look back at it and now. And a child is learning it. 
Right. Yeah. And we can look back and, at it now, like yeah, I said and, earlier, and and just we we love the campiness of it now, but we respect it so much um, because of all of these things that went all of this thought that actually did go into it. Um, you know, small budget be damned, right? We're going to still make this a show that is a quality show. I think the Croft said their budget was $25,000 or $50,000 an episode. Oh, wow. And that is peanuts. And that's for everything, for salaries and props and the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. That is unbelievable. I'm known on our podcast to go down some rabbit holes and un- uncover <laughs> things that maybe not everyone knew. And I found a few that I just wanted to share and ask you a little bit about. One is I discovered that you almost replaced David Cassidy in the Partridge family. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, again, you know, we were we we all knew each other because okay. uh, we'd go to events together. But David had decided to leave the show, the Partridge family. He got tired of it. And so he told the producers he was leaving and ABC panicked because the show was a hit. So they were they created a scenario where um, they were looking for somebody to play his next door neighbor, become his best friend and with a single dad. And he David was going to go off to college and. And and the and the, the boy was then going to be going to get married, and the boy is going to become the lead singer of the Partridge Family. And I auditioned for ABC. I went to uh, Bobby Sherman. I went to his house, uh, and <laughs> Bobby, uh, we re- I recorded a song for ABC, and I had to lip sync it for ABC, and I got the part. And then David goes, they found out I was doing it. Goes, no, I'm not leaving. <laughs> and so. So they, they threw that whole that uh, that whole scenario out because he decided to stay, and of course they were happy he stayed, and uh, and 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 that it never happened. Oh, that had so, to have been a pretty big disappointment, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had, yeah, I've had lots of. I've, listen, I was supposed to be Gopher in the Love Boat, and uh, and ABC, ABC, and NBC agreed I could do because I was on Days of Our Lives. And they agreed I could do this because they're different networks. And they agreed I could do it. And then the last minute, right before we we're supposed to leave for the second pilot, um, NBC pulled out and said, nah, we're not going to let him do it. <laughs> Listen, I once saw, I signed a contract to host The Tonight Show in Australia and uh, with nine, uh, nine Australia, Channel 9 Australia. And, uh, and then the, I had to meet with the government in Australia, in Melbourne. And they go, oh, no, we're not going to let an American host a show. And so, I, okay, I took my shrimp off the Barbie. But, uh, <laughs> my God. Well, I've got to say, though, because of my research, I, I'm, I'm really glad that you lost all of those um, opportunities because I'm afraid that you wouldn't have been able to do something that perhaps impacted my life even more than Land of the Lost. And that was that you are co-creator of Dragon Tales. And for all the Gen X moms and dads out there, Dragon Tales saved our lives. Let me just say, my children loved that show. And in Roanoke, Virginia, where we lived, it came on right at that arsenic hour, right when things could have were going crazy and I needed to fix dinner and they were cranky. They lived for that show and it gave me peace. You gave me sanity when I was a young mother. And I have to thank you because um, we've been doing this podcast now for a little over two years and we've had some pretty big moments. And it wasn't really until a couple weeks ago when Carolyn told us that you created Dragon Tales. And I just happened to mention it to my 27-year-old daughter and my 21-year-old daughter. And I don't think I've I don't think I've ever been higher in their eyes in my entire life, no matter anything I've ever done as a mother, as a writer, as a podcaster, than when they knew I was going to be speaking to the person who was responsible for Dragon Tales, which, as Carolyn just said, with her children as well, one of the shows they will never, never forget. So thank you for that. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Because that's a little bit different than all the other things we've been sharing. Sure. Uh, I, I had been uh, producing and writing a, a totally hidden video for Fox, which was a hidden camera show back in the day. And I would cast myself as as the waiter or whatever in the bits. But the executive producer moved over to Sony Pictures and uh, they were the government was offering this huge grant, 16 million dollars for a new kid show for PBS. And Sesame Street wanted it. The Muppets wanted it. Everything. 
But I'd written a book called The Red Wings of Christmas, which Disney had bought as an animated feature. And I wrote the screenplay and the songs for Disney. And Jim Cohen, he called me and said, Wesley, I've got, I've got these dragon drawings. And can you come on over and maybe, because Red Wings of Christmas was his son's favorite book. And, and so I went over and they had done some work and I, and I put it all together in three days and then they needed a companion piece and I wrote another show that was a companion piece. And anyway, it sold in a week. And, uh, the, the show became, you know, what it was and, and it was huge. I mean, it was all over the world and live shows and, you know, stuffed plush t- toys oh, yeah. all over the place. Oh, yeah. And, oh, and they just instantly break out into the theme song and, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dragon Tales, Dragon Tales, it's almost time for Dragon Tales. <laughs> Come along, take my hand, let's all go to Dragon Land. <laughs> did you, you know that? that now just makes my heart so I did not. <laughs> I did not write that or sing that. But there were three creators on the show, and I was one of them. Ron Rudiker was one of the guys. He was He was the original guy that did the dragon drawings. They were not, they didn't look anything like the, the show, Dragon Tales, but they were very sophisticated. He was from Laguna Beach. He was an educator, and he used to sell these dragon drawings that were very funny at the Sawdust Art Festival every year. And, uh, and that's how this all started, this whole journey with Dragon Tales. Oh, well, I am glad it and it's, started. And it's wonderful, kids. I get a lot of kids on the spectrum um, at the conventions that come up to me, and... Uh, because, you know, the, the, these conventions are, are amazing on many, many, many levels, besides meeting fans and, and, you know, nostalgia. But it's a great safe place for kids on the spectrum. And, and I cannot tell you how many times they'll come up and they can sing every song from Dragon Tales. And we will sing and laugh and giggle and hug. And uh, it, it, it's amazing how... Again, how, how you, how you could do something and don't know the ripple effect. What's the long-term effect and, and the longevity of something you do that you think is fleeting and it's not. Mm-hmm. Wow. That should be the yeah. end of the episode right now. That yeah. was beautiful. Except I have more questions. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't stop. <laughs> I do have some questions about the pilot episode because we all watched this last night and you know, we all say that we loved Land of the Lost, but it wasn't until I flipped it on and I started watching it. And Michelle, you said that, that your husband had the same reaction. Yes, I loved Land of the Lost, but I, I loved Land of the Lost. Like, I'm watching it and I have to say it out loud. Like, I loved Land of the Lost. I loved it so much. Okay, so we have some questions because now we're watching it as adults. We're like, hey, wait a minute. Hey. Okay, so the first question I have for you is, why was your shirt unbuttoned down to your navel? Like, why did nobody in the 70s button their shirt? <laughs> why would we? <laughs> yeah, if you look, it only I, looks like... I have to... I, if you're a teen listen, idol... At my age now, I... At my age now, I have to button the top button to hide everything. Yeah, and the turtle so, for me. <laughs> exactly. You did look like but a teen idol. But it was style. Yeah. Yeah. It, it struck me. First of all, it was sexy. Let's just say it. And I wondered if you waxed your chest. I mean, that was smooth. That was really smooth. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I did not. No, I'm, I'm natural. You're <laughs> natural. Yes. You are so allowed funny. to plead the fifth. You are allowed to, moment. allowed to plead the fifth on any of Kristen's questions. Sure you do. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. You and, you know, I, I ended up doing like a Chip and Dale's calendar and stuff like that. You so. did. Back in the day. Let's find it. Yes, I'm the month of May. Thank you very much. And the merry, merry month of May. (laughs) And I got to tell you, Chris, can I just tell you, Chris Atkins is one of the nicest guys. Both Greg Evergan and Chris are amazing. I I had not really spent any time with Chris until we did a show together in Connecticut uh, about a year and a half ago. And, you know, I was a huge fan of his. And we had more fun. The two of us, I don't know what happened, but it clicked. And we did, we were we were like little school kids, and I, I it was one of the greatest weekends. And and Kathy who played Holly goes, oh, you're going over to Chris's table again, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. Okay, I'm, this is good. So we all had a crush on Chris Atkins. Let's just say this. <laughs> he was amazing. And then of course Greg Evergon, who was just you know extraordinarily talented and a great musician. So well, hey, this is this great is to know for us for March because you're all this three going to be yeah. there, and so are we. So you know, <laughs> we're going to get to uh, witness this friendship in real life. Michelle, I'm imagining this just flash, flash through my head. We have the event; it's all fun, and then we say, 
hey, who wants to go out and have some tacos after or whatever? And oh, then me, Chris and Greg and Wesley and the three of us, we all go and, you know, have some tacos and enjoy you, some, you some know time what? together as pals. You know, one, one of the things about the shows that we do and things like that uh, is – I get to meet my heroes. Oh, you know, it's not just sort of standing behind the table and being from Dragon Tales or Land of the Lost or, or Days of Our Lives or whatever. But I get to sit next to Lou Gossett Jr., uh, you know, uh, I, I, Charo, I, Lou Ferrigno, all these different people that, that I grew up. And I'm like sitting there and going, I can't believe that I am sitting next to this person who I've watched my entire life because I'm a fan too. And, 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 and when I'm going to a show, I look at the guest list and go, Oh my God, this person, I get to meet this person. You know, it's, it, 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 you know, it's, it's amazing. So, uh, so there's the two sides to these shows, you know, and one of the fun, like with Chris and, and, and being able to spend time and, and, uh, you know, uh, William cat, I'll tell you, met William cat and uh, from America's yeah. greatest heroes. And I mean, again, these guys were just are so much fun to be with. So. I love that. It goes back to you saying, you know, the teen <laughs> idols would come over. We'd all get together, the teen idols. And I just love that. You call yourself the teen idols. Yeah. I, but I just love the teen. We, we all love to know that. It's not just the three of us. Our listeners love to know yeah. that too. Um, just like that you're so, so close with your castmates of Land of the Lost the, and that you can say these are honestly good people. Um, that's huge for us as all fans, the fans of all of you. Know that. Yeah. All the fans fantasize about how their favorite stars are friends in real life, right? That's our fantasy. And apparently you're making it come true. That's great. Mm-hmm. Okay. But my questions are really important. These are okay, super go, go, important go, questions. Sorry. And go, I have go. to, yeah, I have to do them. Okay. So in the credits of um, the pilot episode, why do the credits say Wesley as Will Marshall? Where was your last name? Yes. I have that question. Oh, well. The budget was so small they couldn't afford the last four <laughs> letters for the show. Um, the cross were so cheap, and it just you know E U R E was just you know it, they were going to cost them a lot, like thirty seven dollars, and it was you know they couldn't do it. So. Good answer. Okay, it was the stupidest thing in this the world. Okay, let's this just deal with it. I had a I was recording for Motown at the time with a uh, with a band because you've never heard of us, so it didn't work. Uh, but Michael Lloyd was one of the guys. Michael Lloyd ended up being the guy that produced the theme song to Land of the Lost and became one of the biggest record producers in the industry to this day. But Michael was one of there were four boys. It was a boy group. And um, so my my manager at the time goes, oh, it's the 70s. Wesley. Uh, <laughs> Just Wesley. Randy. Cher. Uh, Charo. Uh, oh, Wesley. And, <laughs> thank you. You know, and uh, and so if you probably noticed by the second season, it was Wesley yep. Ewer. Uh, so, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it was it was a uh, it was an interesting choice that was. <laughs> oh well, it's kind of fun it's, to talk about now, but it was kind it's of stupid. fabulous, is what it is. It's is absolutely fabulous. Yeah. yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. Okay, truth is, I like yeah. it. <laughs> I like it. Well, how did you not? Wesley. I mean, you're, you were in good company. Like I said, there's Cher, there's Charo. You Charo. know, later on, there was just Prince. Mm-hmm. There was just Madonna. Yeah. Yeah, I used to go to Cher's. Cher used to have garage sales. Oh, what? And it was invitation only. Stop it. Stop it. And you'd go to, you'd go to, I went to three of them. And Cher, I'd go up to Cher's house. And I'd and use a big gate. And I'd push the. But, and Cher go, yeah. I go, Cher, it's Wesley. She goes, come in. So the, the gate would open up and you drive it. And in her garage, she had all these Bob Mackie gowns and furniture and jewelry that, cause she was like a shopaholic. Oh my gosh. And we would go, I take my mother cause my mother could wear, they were the same size cause Cher's really petite and my mother was petite. And, and we would buy, you know, we, I think we, once we bought two giant green wingback chairs because she was redecorating and those were in my mother's house for years. And, and the first time we went to her garage sale, the first one that I went to, uh, somebody bought one of those squash blossoms, which back in the seventies, there were those big silver and turquoise necklaces, sort of in, in, uh, Indian motif. And they bought it for $75. Now this is the seventies and they sold it for $2,000 the next oh. week. So the next one I went to, <laughs> I ran with my mother. We went right to the jewelry. <laughs> Grab the jewelry. But I remember my best moment with Cher was she's standing in the garage and there's something for like twenty dollars. And I go, Cher, I'll give you fifteen. She goes, It's Mark twenty. <laughs> I go, okay, I'll pay twenty. I'll pay twenty. She was not about the, the haggling garage Wesley. sale prices. Yeah. <laughs> 
50 cents. She wasn't. She would haggle with me. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, my god. Okay, here's my last pilot question. And it has to do with preparation for the show. So please be honest. Did you have to practice, like, your scared faces in the mirror before your first day of work? Like, <gasps> Oh, oh no! There's a lot. Uh, there's so many you know, scared places. You know, it, it, well, first of all, I mean, I, I had been, I'd worked in, you know, I'd done, I started doing Shakespeare in New York and, and Stratford and stuff like that. But, but I was on days and stuff. But in fact, there was a one scene that Kathy and I did. We, we actually saw where we see our mother, and we start to cry and stuff. And they stopped take and the, Bob Lally, I think it was Bob Lally, the director, he came out and said, "Look, guys." This is too real," he said. "Remember, this is Saturday morning. You got to pull it back a little bit because it'll scare the kids too much." And so he said, "It's just too real." And um, so Kathy and I had to pull it back. And um, no, Kat and Kathy, my gosh, episode. If you ever watched the episode, the opening of the third season where we've lost our dad. Oh, my, I just saw it recently. I was crying like a baby. I because I, I never saw the episode before. Because remember, back in the seventies, if it if if you missed it, you missed it. You didn't get to see it, you know, because there's no there was no recording anything or repeats, uh, unless you were you know lucky enough to catch that one day that it repeated. But the performance of her, it, you forget how amazing these child stars were, and there's a reason they're famous. Uh, and you know, we're around a lot of child stars, uh, you know, from from you know, oh my gosh, there's. You know, from Johnny Whitaker to Butch Patrick to all these wonderful kids. And we forget sometimes what an amazing, what amazing actors and actresses mm-hmm. they were. Wow. So does that mean that when you're running away from the dinosaur, can you see the dinosaur? Or are you having to conjure something in your mind? No. Well, it was the largest blue screen, which, again, is now green screen. But it was the whole wall of a soundstage was blue. The floor was blue. And whatever was blue disappeared. So they, they, the dinosaurs were on film, and we were videotaped. And the first episode didn't work because they had never been able. It's the first time in history in Hollywood they had melded live uh Film and videotape at the same time. So it didn't work the first episode. So they called the Disney people in and everybody worked on it. And the next week they were able to fix it. But what they do is we, Kathy and I, or, or uh, Phil or, or Spencer Milligan, who played Marshall, our dad, Marshall. we would be on, on the blue screen and they would say, look at that light up there. And that's going to be Grumpy's head run to the right. Wow. <laughs> you know, and yeah. that's it. So we just look up there. We, so we're, we're all focusing on the same light. So it looks like we're looking at Grumpy. And then we, and they would shrink us down. So we can see in the monitor, they'd have the, the dinosaurs on film and they would just shrink our bodies down to be proportionate to the dinosaurs. And it was all done live. Wow. And that must have been so exciting for you. How old were you when you were and when you started doing this? Well, I was actually I was twenty two okay. because I was playing sixteen, but I, I'd been on the soaps and stuff yeah. like that. And I remember I was in New York. I was I actually been flown to New York. I was going to star in Candide on Broadway, uh, David Merrick, and um, and I got a call that I got Land of the Lost, and I go, I don't know if I want to play sixteen. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm 22 and I'm on a soap. And anyway, one of the greatest decisions of my life is to say, yes. well, it's impacted. I mean, look at family. to this day, it's still changed. Like you said, at these all of these events. And we just love that you and Kathy and Philip show up with the yellow raft. And I think, um, you know, this this conversation with you, Wesley, we feel at least the three of us feel has been a long time coming because you're so awesome. Um, listeners, Wesley has the f- just the most fun Instagram page because he posts all these photos when they go to these fan events and you bring your yellow raft. And I've said many times to you, it's our bucket list to get on that raft. And you always reply to us and we're we get so excited. We share it in our in our little chat with each other. Wesley liked it. That means he wants us to be on the yellow raft. But um, we're hoping one day we're going to be on that yellow raft and we all get to do the face that they all like bounce well, and then it, they make the face where they go. Well, it, <laughs> well, it was Kathy's idea and we've done it for about 10 years and that was a good idea 10 years ago. Now that I've gotten older, I need to oh. do the craft to get up and down. But but it, you know, we bring the yellow raft, we put yellow life jackets on, yellow oars, and we, you know, we... <laughs> A lot of performers, you go to these shows, you buy an autograph and get a photo. We thought, no, let's create an experience. 
And we put everybody in the raft on the floor. We get in. We pretend we're going for the waterfall. Everybody's screaming and yelling. And we have had, and plus every celebrity that you can imagine begs us to get a photo. Melissa Gilbert just was in the raft. Mindy Cohen was in the raft. Uh, 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 John Schneider, uh, Lonnie Anderson, uh, Sam Jones, uh, <laughs> all these people come <laughs> running and say, we want a picture, we want a picture it's of the, the most raft. famous raft so. in TV history. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, going back to how, how you did say this was the best decision you made, because it's understandable that at age 22, you would say, mm, I don't know if I want to play 16, because at 22, you think you're all that, you know. But it's still to I, this yeah. day impacting people but that's also thanks to you guys because you're still going out and connecting with everybody um and that means the world to to all of the fans um and to us and to our listeners so yeah we just have to thank you again for that um thank you really yeah appreciate Mm -hmm. it this has been so fun thank you so much for meeting with us oh yes Mm -hmm. We are so, so excited. Hey, I um, cut you guys off. Thank you, you guys. Thanks for having me. No, that's it. But I do want to ask, you know, we're so okay. excited to meet you in person on March 12th. We will be there with bells on. And do, um, are you bringing the raft? Probably not, right? To the March 12th event, do you think? Because it's not, it's a different type I'm of coming event. From, I'm actually coming from my house. I'm coming from my house in Mexico. I live in Mexico six months out of the year in Puerto Vallarta. Oh. And uh, so I'll yeah. be just flying in for the day uh, to L.A. And then so, back. So, so it's, yeah, I, I'm so not bringing the raft you this wouldn't, time. You wouldn't object then if we brought our own raft, I'm hearing, is what I'm hearing, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh, no. Oh, my God. Girl, go for it. Are you crazy? Oh, bring it. We'll blow it up and we'll get in. Absolutely. Oh, we're so excited to chat with you and with your friends, Chris and Greg. We're excited to chat with them and Jimmy and Christy. Absolutely. We will see you on March 12th. Perfect. I I look forward to it. Uh, Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Bye, guys. Take care. When I look all around, I can't believe the things I found. Now I need to find my way. I must, I must find me living in the land of love. Listeners, you are welcome. That was a Gen X Hollywood insider conversation of epic proportions. Land of the Lost and Charo in the same room. <laughs> I mean, who knew? And Cher. There was an intersection of those two things. Plus Cher and her garage sales. <laughs> All of that makes for a really good day for the Pop Culture Preservation Society. A very special thank you to Wesley Ewer for his generosity with us today. And thank you all for listening. Stay safe out there and watch out for those flea stacks. And you guys, I'm going to do my darndest to find that clip of Philip Paley flipping Johnny Carson. That would be great. And yes, if you're lucky enough right now to already be a subscriber to our weekly reader, you will get to see a clip. Cross your fingers, I find it. And if you're not already a subscriber, just go to our website or our link in Instagram to sign up. And also the Tenacious D clip of them doing the Land of the Lost theme. I want to see that in the Let's put that in too, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. that will right. be in there, too. So you don't want to miss it, peeps. Today's episode was funded by our supporters on Patreon. <laughs> but really... <laughs> She's on NPR. I know. But really, everyone who joins our team of supporters on Patreon gets a shout out on this podcast because you are what makes all of this happen. Today, we'd like to give a big, humongous thank you to Christine, Nina, Sherry, Stacy, Donna, Kristen, Tracy, Margaret, and Joanne, thanks so, so much for all of your support. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast, courtesy of the cast of Three's Company. To good times. To happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. Cheers. Cheers. The information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to Carolyn, the Crushologist, and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, there's always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. Love it, it will keep moving on.